Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 433. My name is Brando. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Darren Paltrowitz. I was concerned about messing up your last name, but I messed up Darren, so I had to yeah, be... Yeah, people know uh, usually like Gwyneth Paltrow with the it's at the end, yet somehow with Paltrowitz, they get Paltrowski, and there's there's no SKI, but they get Palowitz, so they left out the tro. Whatever it is, Brando, thank you for having me, longtime listener of your show. That means a lot, and before we even get to that, I asked you just off air because I'm used to that kind of... a spelling because i'm austrian polish and, and russian mm-hmm. which you happen to be as well and i follow hockey and they all have the wits <laughs> at the end of that so uh thank you i i never think anyone listens to this podcast even though i'm always getting new emails and you know messages from people all the time but you had reached out to me via gmail shout mm-hmm. out to do uh the afd show at gmail.com and that you were, I mean, not only do you have a book, and that's what you're here to, to talk about, and, and David Lee Roth and the podcast, uh, but you actually listened to my podcast. So thank you. I, that's that, that means a lot that you wanted to be a, a guest, and I'm glad that you are. Yes. Uh, I don't remember if I found your show because of JT Turret, our mutual friend, if I listened because of the Fat Mike episode or if I started listening before, because every now and then you get a pickup from a blabbermouth or an ultimate classic rock sure. kind of thing. And that might have been how I found the show. But the bottom line is, as, as somebody who hosts a podcast that's thematically oriented to an artist, you kind of gravitate towards other ones. Mm. Uh, I'm in my Van Halen lane with my the DLR cast, which I co-host. But you're in the GNR lane. And there's so many overlaps between Van Halen and Guns N' Roses. So it's cool to, uh, for lack of a better term, cross streams. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we'll go with the, the, the Ghostbusters <laughs> route. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because there is a crossover between Van Halen and Guns N' Roses, and even in my own personal life, and I can't wait to get into all of that, but headline is, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. It's not just a statement. It's a book title. So congratulations. DLR book. I, I called it DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World, because do, how deep are you on the David Lee Roth solo career? I, I, I know more than the average bear, but I'm not going to claim that I know a lot, you know, more. Got it. Yeah. There's a 97 solo album by Dave called DLR Band. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it doesn't say anything except DLR Band on it. So it's kind of an homage to that because Roth diehards will know everything about that album. But unfortunately, the Roth diehards for the many, many millions of Van Halen fans out there, probably like 2% or less really care and go deep dive into Dave. I guess you could say with GNR, it's comparable to everybody knows Sweet Child of Mine in Paradise City, but how many people know Slash's Snake Pit or right. Kagan's Loaded or Izzy's solo albums or Gilby's, etc. So uh, kind of a correlation there as well. I Well, I have to credit uh, a friend of mine, a childhood friend that I'm still friends with to, to this day, 
where I was, before the podcast, I was Mr. Guns N' Roses, I was Axl Rose, he was Mr. Van Halen, he was David Lee Roth. If you mentioned Sammy Hagar to you, uh, if you mentioned <laughs> Sammy Hagar to him, he would give you a, a, an evil stare. We even semi-jokingly, but seriously, I mean, this was high school, college days, so how serious are you at that time, that we were going to open up a bar called the Diamond Rose, a rock and roll bar. We wanted to do that. We were we were dead serious, and we would make fun of each other because at the time, you know, Van Halen was, was broken up. David Lee Roth is doing his solo thing where he's still holding on to his long hair, and it's kind of awkward. And Axel, is he or isn't he with Chinese democracy? And so... We both loved our bands that were kind of jokes at the time. Uh, so this is like early 2000s. So yeah, this I I'm, 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 can't believe it's taken me this long because I've done Metallica episodes. I've done Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. episodes to do a Van Halen one. Other than uh, our friend, shout out to Greg Rainoff. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Greg, the I always say Greg should be on the payroll of Van Halen <laughs> because he knows more about Van Halen than just about anyone at yeah. this time. He's spoken to more people who are actually at the backyard shows than anybody. So Greg really Van Halen is in dire need of a social media manager, a historian, et cetera. And I always felt it should be Greg. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree with you. And uh, he was going to be the, the co-host for this podcast, but just couldn't coordinate the time. So I just want to I don't want to lose that. And, and of course, neglect. Yeah, I just I guess I did have a Van Halen episode, but that was more of talking about the debut albums this is all about david lee roth so where i i've spoken about how i got into gnr and axel let's get mm-hmm. a little bit of your story how did you you're wearing a kiss shirt so i'm a little disappointed there's and you're not repping the the vh but how did you uh, become you know well how did you get on this path of of co-hosting a david lee roth podcast and writing this book when did you first fall in love well, in terms of the kiss shaming right there, which <laughs> band has two members who both claim to have discovered Van Halen? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, which band has T-shirts that you can regularly get for 8 to $14 on sale through retailers? Same answer, kiss. So every now and then you buy your kiss shirts. And this is an Ace and Peter one. This is not a Tommy and Eric one. So oh, okay. you can't fully shame me. Oh, no disrespect to the kiss. I just thought, you know, Van Halen, where I'm not the person. It's the same thing with the podcast, how they say, don't yeah. wear the shirt of the band you're going to see. I from that the movie PCU it was a funny yeah. line but no, it's I early Jeremy Piven and uh Spade yeah good yeah. cast in that one yeah good uh, movie but I never bought that know. line I always wear my GNR shirts or I didn't have a Van Halen shirt so the one time I saw Van Halen in 2012 but I bought mm-hmm. one there and it's still one of my favorite shirts I should have wore that today so you know what shame on me too Van Halen probably doesn't have Van Halen shirts. They have <laughs> one of the worst licensing operations of any huge superstar act ever. Now, Van Halen store and Van Halen news desk are selling this book uh, because Jeff Hausman is awesome and Eric Senich is awesome. And they do more goodwill for Van Halen than Van Halen does these days. So th- that's a reality. I-, I have some Van Halen bootleg shirts in my closet that my wife has bought me over time. Mm-hmm. I have my I don't feel tardy shirt and, and all that. But <laughs> anyway, my uh, love of Van Halen, to not say too much, like it- it's kind of detailed in the first chapter of the book where it's uh, my brother's bar mitzvah was the first time I really remember hearing jump in the late 80s. And then over time, you kind of realize, 
wait, I know that song and that song and that song. Oh, that's the same band. So I was all about Van Halen and Van Hagar first. Then I was, oh, just a gigolo and California girls is the same guy. Is that wow? And then, you know, you go back and go, wow, Yankee Rose and going crazy and a little ain't enough. And then before you know it, you're reading David Lee Roth's memoir, his 1997 autobiography, and you go, wow. And then you see the music videos as you're a little older and a little more mature, get what's going on. And you ultimately realize that Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, Kiss, there's kind of like five American bands ever that you can call the greatest American band, rock band of Aerosmith. But you're right. Aerosmith is in that list. Uh, I'm not an Eagles guy. I get what the Eagles are about, but they're so, their personalities are so um, hate-oriented uh, and hate-directing uh, <laughs> that I can't ever call the Eagles one of the greatest bands of all time. But it's really a short list of amazing American bands. And some people say, well, half of Van Halen was born in the Netherlands. True. But I'm, I'm going to call them the greatest American rock band of all time, if not Guns N' Roses. Yeah, that's been a fun argument or discussion, I, I guess I should say, with uh, with like Greg and uh, and his following. Because at the end of the day, I mean, is there really it's preference? And we, I love them both. I never got into this versus uh, this versus that. But how did your um, the podcast started first before the book? Correct. Yeah, the podcast as aside from my regular podcast, the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, which started off as just a podcast. And then three to four years ago, I turned it into a TV show, and it's now on 150-plus stations and OTT carriers like Local Now and 30A and Troptotions and all that. So in the midst of taping all these interviews, kind of um, Howard Stern, Stuttering John style, I would throw in a Van Halen question into random interviews. And then I was doing that enough that I kind of realized I have a lot here. And then I was at the same time talking to my buddy, Steve Roth, no relation. And he was looking to get back into podcasting. And we wound up watching the DLR cast. Then in taping all these interviews for DLR cast and my own, I kind of realized I've now interviewed like 20 people who worked with Roth. And at a certain point, I got an ego about it. And I went, I'm going to reach out to literary agents and all but two turned me down. Mm -hmm. And the two literary agents basically went, hey, this is great and all, but you need to turn in a pitch or a proposal such as this. Hmm. And it's like a sample chapter and the outline of every chapter and about you and why this book matters and how you're going to market it. And that's what you give to anybody who you don't want to talk to anymore. Because the average person is going to go, I don't want to spend 10 hours writing a chapter in the outline. My literary agent to be Lee Sobel gave me that. And I did it within the next three days, and he sold it within like the next three days. So I I went, oh, now I have to write this. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into that journey, man, this is uh, this is too close to home because I'm going to sprinkle in later because it's about you know you and your book, but the the failed book that I was supposed to do with Doug Goldstein, the former Guns N' Roses manager, because there are Dave Lee Roth stories in there, and I want to share them because otherwise they're they're gone. So. Yeah. Using what you just said. And there are people who still don't know, even though it's been over a year since I've announced I'm not working on the book with any, him anymore. There are people who I don't expect everybody to listen to it 
my podcast, let alone every episode. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this one and what happened to it, what Darren said. So I was after you know getting uh, 150 pages or, or so of organized stories and kind of shaping them into chapters, uh, kind of just still building building the building block, so to speak. Nowhere near done. Doug goes to me, we should be getting paid for this. Mm. Cool, why wouldn't I be getting paid for this? He only wanted to go to one literary agency. And mm. I, I don't want to, I mean, does it matter if I mention? Could they sue me for a sec? I, I, don't, I don't even know. No, if it's factual, they can't. But if you just no. use the word allegedly six times, allegedly we spoke to a literary agency. Oh. If you do that, that's I think you get out of lawsuits. Oh. Just say it doesn't matter. No one really cares. So uh, Folio <laughs> Marketing. Folio okay. is, is a big-time marketing and they, uh, agency, and they've done a lot of uh, people's autobiographies. Uh, Lita Ford, for one, and I, I bring her up for specifically for in a second. So I got, I sent it to him, and he first, which I la- uh, found out, he called Doug first, which I get. What is this? you got to get rid of this guy who's writing this book with you. And Doug said no. And I had yeah. a long conversation on the phone with him saying that these are organized thoughts. You should have seen the mess that it was beforehand. And this is still in the early phases, even though we're a year into this, And because I, I want to know how long it took you. But as you I mean, I, I got, just gotten married. I have two jobs and then the podcast. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's, it's a lot, especially when we were working on it together. It wasn't just like you already had your information. A lot of your information you, when, you, when you found, I'll ask you about your research and everything. Mm-hmm. So I had to do exactly what you said, right? It's like a three to five page summary about the book, a sample chapter, uh, marketing stuff. I, I'm not into, I'm not a marketing uh, about guy. About you a, and why your family is me. And yeah. apparently all of that, all of that. Comparable book titles. Was garbage. Yep. Yep. Was, was like, you need to get rid of this guy. And look, I'm certainly no Hemingway. I understand that, but I went to college. I have a degree in broadcast journalism. I could put words together. And mm-hmm. I had a great, I got a great suggestion from my therapist who uh, loved what I sent her, by the way, because my therapist would be honest with me. She's like, read one of the books under his umbrella. And I'm like, okay. I read Lita Ford's book. It was like it was written in crayon. It's, it's a paragraph, like every sentence was the word I. It was just oh, yeah. I this, I that. And I, you learn in English in middle school that you don't start every sentence with the same word. Usually you, you try to avoid that. So like just like very yeah. prelim, very remedial stuff that like, what am I missing? It came down to, oh, well, if we're going to get this book out by the fourth quarter, it's got to be done by this time. The guy just wanted money. He just wanted somebody who can turn a quick turnaround. Doug, and I, I gave him an out. I'm like, if this is what you want, you know what I can commit to. You know what I can't. You knew that going in, uh, and he's like, he wouldn't really give me an answer. His solution was to write two books, one by me, one by another author, an established author. That's kind of, I'm sorry, you're not unless you're Britney Spears or Jackie Robinson or you know, you don't need multiple autobiography biographies coming out at the same time. So that's kind of what happens. So that's why now to really avoid lawsuits, even though we never signed anything. Allegedly, 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 but allegedly. I'll, I'll share them later because I want to, again, it's not a, I hate going into my own diatribe when it's about somebody else, but you, I know you're going to uh-huh. relate and appreciate everything. So, yeah. uh, 
I want to share these stories on on social media or on a podcast where it makes sense because you know what? If or, you, or we could just have you on as a featured guest on the David Lee Roth podcast we do called DLR Cast, and then there's no pressure to spill your guts, and you can organize all your notes, and you're the focal point. Oh, and I can, and that's true. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll share a couple, and I'll save some for you. That's what I'll do. Sounds good. But in this way, I'm, if he, I don't think he's working on another book. But if he is, all the stories are ruined because I'm sharing them. I'm a little bit, a bit of a vengeful asshole that way. But anyway, mm-hmm. <sighs> sorry, I needed to get that all out because every I, I just had like PTSD of all, so I had to back yeah. out of doing it of if, all the stuff I that super, I did. So if I, I can super cut you off, please. Um, the life of a person writing a book is so glamorized from TV and film projects and documentaries in general. And it has very little to do with what it's actually like writing a book there. It's almost like writing a book is about 20% or less the actual writing of the book. (laughs) It's, it's a lot more time spent dealing with, um, your publisher and related people about deliverables dealing with people going, Hey, where's my free copy Hmm. Uh, with people negotiating back and forth to be able to speak with them and why their time is so much more valuable than yours. (laughs) There's so many of those things. Then you realize, Oh, okay. I have to have a bio that looks like this. And then a bio that looks like that. And a bio looks like that. And Oh wait, none of my social media is up to date. Okay. My web presence, you got to fix it. Then once your book is done, usually you're left into in the dark for months and you're like, did they get it? <laughs> are, are, are there revi- revisions coming? And then all of a sudden you get uh, the revisions. And it's like, go, 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 go. You have to have this in the next 72 hours. And you go, you could have given it to me like two months ago and given. So that happens. And then there's corrections and revisions. Then you turn it in again, and then you wait a bunch more time and wait a bunch more time and wait a bunch more time and more deliverables and more little things and more other contracts and more of this and more of that. There's So really, it. I turned in this book 14 or so months ago, the manuscript. Okay. So the revisions, I think, came to back to me six to nine months ago. I'd really have to check. And then that was me going, okay, let's make the book more modern and reflect this happened with Roth and that happened with Roth. And then I had to go in the last like six weeks or so into full grade like, oh, okay, now I have to carve out time. So while I'm working my day job, I can still promote the book and get the stuff out. My bubble mailers came in the mail yesterday for me able to mail out the promo copies and sign the copies to friends and family. Notice how little I'm talking about actually writing the book. It's all there. It's it really is a lot. And have you had you written anything before then, or was this your first kind of foray into uh, into being an author? I'd written two self-published books, uh, co-written with other people. Okay. First the one solo. second one, yeah, the the first one solo, and oh. the last one. I wound up doing a good number of interviews and press on. I got a good taste of that from the co-author DX Ferris, who has a podcast about Slayer. Maybe he should come on this show when you can figure out the Slayer Guns N' Roses um, overlap. I, I guess like Rick Rubin, Geffen Records. Rick Rubin uh, produced Velvet Revolver. There you go. 
Maybe Dave Lombardo <laughs> auditioned for Guns N' Roses. I don't. I, don't I know. will find it. I've had the weirdest people on here. If I can get a Pauly Shore connection, I can get anybody. So, so I, I've interviewed Pauly Shore as well. We have that in common. <laughs> I love that. He's very David Lee Roth like. He, you know what? There is a certain um, cloth of people who grew up in L.A. of a certain age who are MTV friendly or MTV adjacent who were all comedy store adjacent kind of people. So there's him, Roth, Corey, Fel- uh, Corey Feldman, I guess you could say, is there in that realm as well, of people who have bad social media presences, who were around all the greats, who are around Sam Kinison, who, who um, have these weird existences in 2023 and 2024. I'm excited to talk about because we have to have, we, we have, well not even Feldman I, that's a whole other conversation I mean I see TikTok videos of him and, and he's serious with this Michael Jackson thing that he's I don't 100% I, the wife and I saw him back in October and he had security right before he got, went on stage hold tables over the windows like security detail like we were going to bum rush Corey Feldman in a sports bar that was showing NFL Sunday. That's so, I, yeah, I, I don't, he's... I don't, I can't live in that world. That's not a world. That's I can't live in that, <laughs> that kind of understanding, but the world I do want to live in. And, and you'll appreciate the segue is the, how Dave, the world that David Lee Roth changed. Because, yeah. Cause I'll tell you what, uh, I, I spent a good portion of my earlier radio career when I had a commute on the subway. I, I don't like drive now. I, I hate public transportation, but reading with you. reading Rockstar by autobiographies. Like yeah, the dirt here. the dirt like changed my life. Uh, I, I thought just I just thought the way it was written, uh, I that's when I consumed so much like slashes, Anthony Kiedis's and one of my friends I'll, I'll never forget is Crazy from the Heat. And yeah. I really think that if there are two kinds of people, if you have an opinion on David Lee Roth, it's whoever read his autobiography and if you didn't. Because if you could see the silly David Lee Roth, and you're like, okay, how did that guy change the world? The hominy bubbity zilly bop. You read his book. He is such a worldly, learned man, yeah. which who has experienced so much of what this planet has to offer. It's just mm-hmm. the, the most crazy places on earth that he's been to and experienced different kinds of cultures and tribes and he's just he's a rock star he can be doing whatever he wants and sometimes he'll go to third world countries and experience that so what kind of stuff do you cover is that the kind of stuff you cover in the book the book covers before van halen during van halen but that's not a large chunk of the book it i would say the book like gets to full gear as of 85 and it covers up to the the current day so we have him working as an emt mm. we have him hosting the show on k-rock that got syndicated the return to van halen all the awkward projects before he came back to van halen his time in japan i pretty much have a chapter on the weird Japanese language short film that he made in the early two, 2010s when he was living in Japan. I tracked down three of the people who worked on it. Actually, four. I tracked down four of the people. That was not easy. Um, this this book, because I'm a private investigator for my day job, oh, wow. really required those kinds of skills where I had to figure out, okay, who are the people that know 
where the bodies are buried or you know you know that metaphor sure who are the, the skeletons in the club who are the people that know stuff okay of those people who of those people are not under non-disclosures right. of those people who will talk to me because i can show that i'm trustworthy and that this book is meant to tell it yes it's the good bad and the ugly but i'm going to say it's 90 percent plus the good about dave because there's some there's a lot of people that he parted ways with on negative terms and they never spoke with again. So some of those people are happy to tell their truth. And then other people are like, I never want to hear that name again. <laughs> so I there's take different periods of Dave's life and career. Like if it happened in 1985, I'm going to go to Dave Jellison because Dave Jellison was started off in the Van Halen crew in the early 80s, went with Dave through his solo career. He was in the band Rat for a little while, big commercial director these days, successful guy. Dave is totally in his rearview mirror. He remembers everything. He was not high like a lot of the people were on the Tie for Down tour. He remembers. If it's stuff that happened in the last few years, there are some people who may or may not have been under non-disclosures, but were able to confirm things for me. If it were the early 2000s, uh, unfortunately, we lost him recently, Doug Short, great tour manager. He remembers everything. So I could ask him, hey, when Dave toured with Sammy, what was that about? He remembered. Then there were things in the late 90s. I go to my Dave Whisperer for that era. Um, in other words, there wasn't really one person that you could go to that was an expert about 40 something years of Dave. Okay. So I went to his cousin for this. I went to the former guitarist for that, the former tour manager for that. And that's kind of what the story is. It's everybody's viewpoint mixed with my assessment, mixed with the Howard Stern and other famous interviews. So it's not telling you, hey, this happened. It's going we think this happened based on this, this, and this. What's the, because you said most of it is positive, and why wouldn't it? I mean, you're, you're a fan. It's kind of what you want it to be, but you're a PI, so you're, you're gonna, you want to reveal the truth. What a different kind of truth. Sorry. I had to uh, great, greatest reunion album ever uh, for a band, by the way. I loved it. I was on the radio and, at the time, and I loved playing the singles off. And of, yeah. most importantly, not on Spotify or anything because it was pulled. So is that true by David Lee Roth that he, he pulled it? Yes. Or, or some, somehow within the Van Halen camp. So there's so many things like that that come up in this book where we love the thing and Dave has taken it out of print. And you go, why? And then he puts out something super inferior that sucks. And he's his social media team is plugging it to no end. And again, you go, why? <laughs> there's so many whys that come up the more you dig into David Lee Roth because – he doesn't talk about his good deeds. Mm. He doesn't deny the bad stuff that people allege about him. So, like, he does not come from the good nor bad. It's just like the groundhog. He just comes out of his hole once in a while and goes, blah. And then you're like, oh, that's all we're going to get. You could easily interchange uh, David Lee Roth right there with Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses with Van Halen. Just like, yeah. why? Like, why are you taking like this away, you know, these leaks away or these videos away offline? Uh, why are you taking this away and then releasing things that maybe uh, the, the fans don't want? They, what they refer to as Chinese democracy leftovers. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of 
so questions. Uh, it's just the bummer of with with GNR. You still have everybody around. Obviously, with Van Halen, we lost Eddie, so there's really almost so much healing we could do as a as a fan base there. But with most of it being yeah. positive, was there a certain message you wanted to get out about David Lee Roth? Because it's you say he changed the world, so or is it just about? Is that just a, a turn of phrase, or I, I, what's the the narrative you want people to take away about Diamond Dave from the book? It's partially a turn of phrase, but when you really think about it. And I'll, I'll ask you this, like, this is not um, a fishing kind of question, but did MTV change the world? Sure. Yeah. In many levels. And early MTV undoubtedly changed everything. It changed the way people dress. Um, it made music more of a visual medium because, yes, there was music videos and all that before that, but it became the norm. And one of the most instrumental artists in early MTV was Van Halen slash Dave. Now, they didn't make great videos or much on the first three records, maybe four records. They did the typical lip sync and international TV kinds of things. But for the Diver Down record and for the 1984 record, they went full on with the music videos. And then Dave's first EP, while he was still in Van Halen, just the Gigolo and California Girls, they they changed music videos show me a more ambitious music video in that time than california girls or just a jiggle okay thriller sure there are a lot of creative ones but the fact that you know with the dave tv and playing different characters the 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 fat suits and just very creative and and innovative and that's another reason why I, i gravitated towards him more than just the music and the voice it's just He's a guy. He's he's a funny guy. He's an interesting person. That I'm, he's an entertainer. That's that's the way he he can sing. But he's a showman. He's a he's a front yeah. man. Uh, I, I yeah. So I, yeah, it, it's brilliant. So I approach it from that. Well, he was instrumental in early MTV, and early MTV changed the world. And that's that. That alone, you can rest on everything. But then he was the first artist to do a lot of things. Like who really talked about contract writers before Van Halen? You know, the brown M&Ms kind of thing. Right. And now everyone fights over, oh, who has the craziest clause in their contract? And if there was one or two artists before Van Halen, I do apologize, but we're not still talking about that 40 plus years later. Then in terms of stage show, um, with all the empty cabinet speakers, yes, Kiss has been doing that for decades on and off. But... I don't remember any bands doing the empty cabinets thing on stage before Kiss. I, I'm sorry, before Van Halen, rather. A slip of the tongue right there. <laughs> so there's so many little things like that. Then you go, how many people did interviews like Dave Lee Roth? Now it's totally normal to do the Howard Stern kind of interview. Mm-hmm. But I think Dave was the first or one of the first with that. His memoir. Nowadays, everyone has the memoir. You were talking about Lita Ford and Stephen Piercy and Vince Neil. Everyone has a memoir. But in 97, which people from Hard Rock had a memoir? He predated Motley Crue. Yeah. So he led the way on that, too. And he, for better and for worse, he's the first person to do a lot of things. And sometimes it's a disaster. Um, I love the album. Did you ever hear Sonrisa Salvaje? No. 
No. So he recorded the Eat em and Smile album in Spanish at the same time. Okay, I didn't and know that. Okay. You can find it on Spotify. And some people say, oh, yeah, his Spanish is amazing. Dave's fluent. And other people go, that is the worst gringo Spanish. <laughs> that, you know, that's bad slang. I'm going to err on the side that Dave is fluent and he speaks great and, and all that. Because singers generally are great with languages because language is a spoken thing. Anyway, uh, how many artists before him did full albums in another language? I, that's it's so ambitious for him to to do that. It's, then it's, with those videos we're talking about, which he directed or co-directed, how many artists in that era were directing their own videos? Let alone were about to direct a screenplay that was bought by CBS Studios, a major studio, and that's what they were going to do. So it's just thing after thing after thing where Dave went, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to listen to anybody's advice," and it was pretty much. Hit after hit after hit after success until maybe 89. And then that's when the wheels started to fall off a little bit with him not listening to anybody and him and Pete Angelus parting ways and him not really having traditional managers, more having assistants that he told what to do. What uh, what did you, I guess, what shocked you about your research? Was there anything that really surprised you already being such a David Lee Roth and Van Halen fan? any of the interviews you've done, whether it be, I guess, two ways you can answer it. One, that's like a, something that's a positive thing and something that's like, like, whoa, really? That happened? That's maybe the not so positive. <laughs> Did you have those moments or you felt like you, you knew everything? You were, you were already an expert. <laughs> no, I definitely learned things along the way. Um, there's so many positive things, a few negative ones. I was surprised on the negative end that, Dave's um, arguably Dave's low point was 93, 94, 95 around there. And I'm not saying creatively speaking. I mean, commercially, he went on 91 from doing an arena tour in support of a little ain't enough to clubs. And it wasn't a so much a like, I want to be with the people. It's more like the promoters going, you're you, you can't bring people in and Warner Brothers going yeah, we don't hear a hit. We're not behind this record. So he was still awesome vocally and in shape and all that. But it was kind of sad in 94 around your the, your Filthy Little Mouth album. I think he did better overseas than here. So when you talk to some of the people who played in his band in that era, you know, when Ron Wixo, the drummer, who's now out with Steve Miller Band, before that, he was in Foreigner. He's been in all these like Journey-related offshoot projects. Amazing drummer, Ron Wixo. He and the band and Dave were on the same bus on that 94 tour. Dave was on the same bus. All those people, crew, one bus. Oh. <laughs> Does that tell you how bad things were? Like, yes, I got to imagine money. that's like a... Because in '94, that's that's the, the one of the heights of grunge. I got to imagine that's part of it. Because even, right? Because he wasn't going that route. He wasn't changing his sound to a more grungy. Imagine a grunge David, oh, David Lee Roth. In fact, this album from '94, it's uh, bluesy on a couple of songs. There's a Willie Nelson cover. There's a Travis Tritt duet. <laughs> There's a horrible reggae song called "No Big Ting." Um, she's my machine is awesome. 
that that's actually an awesome song that uh, he doesn't shy away from that he's proud of that he pushed as a single. In fact, he's on this like Paulie Shore Fox show from 94 and 95 lip syncing to it live. But uh, I think that he was kind of lost. And then his next album in 97 was an attempt at like half the songs sounding along the lines of Hot for Teacher. Mm. And that's where a pre-fame John Five was in his band, although he hired and fired a few other guitarists in that era too. I think another three came and went besides John Five. So he was back to trying to sound like Van Halen. Then the next album was a covers album, which in 2002, 2003, who was doing covers albums? He was kind of ahead of the curve on that, too. So it's like, unfortunately, Dave can't do the same thing twice. Meaning, just like Paradise is one of the best songs ever, in my opinion, he never did Just Like Paradise Part 2. This is true. He never did a hop for teacher part two in, in the era of his early solo career. He doesn't do the same thing twice and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. That's always the, the interesting discussion with bands, the bands that, that quote unquote do the same thing, whether it's like an ACDC that they might be the best uh, example uh, because Mm -hmm. they don't really change their sound, but, we love their sound. And if they ever change yeah. it, oh my God. But you have someone like Metallica that takes risks, they get backlash and then they have to go back to a sound. But then creatively, it's like, what do you do when you're stifling them? Uh, I mean, look at Guns N' Roses. They're never going to make another appetite again. That's That seems to be yeah. the furthest from Axel's mind. But it's it's what the artist uh, wants to do. But I want to ask, because I'm, I'm, I've always been a little confused about the, the John 5 album. Why Mm -hmm. didn't that come out? And why is he releasing it the way that he's releasing it? He's releasing it on YouTube. Why, why not try to put it together as an album and sell it now? Why just, just why just, I mean, it's nice. He's sharing these songs with us for free, but why do it that way? And what happened? So I've learned more about this since I wrote the book, because one of Dave's insiders from the 2010s, well, actually, early 2000s into the early 2010s told me stuff and without getting him in trouble it sounds like the john five album um and this is not documented anywhere this is this is personal opinion from somebody who is in the room if that makes sense it does because you have to say allegedly 17 times to make sure that nobody's nda has been violated Dave made the John five album at the same time as a different kind of truth was being helmed Hmm. that it was possibly a backup plan. Uh, Davis said in interviews that he showed all the songs to the Van Halen brothers and offered them for a different kind of truth and they turned them down. And then in another interview, Dave said that he and John five wrote this to be a jukebox musical because he just saw book of Mormon and you go like book of Mormon's not a what are you talking about? Well, so in other words, what I'm saying here is, depending on who you ask, it was a backup plan because he thought that the Van Halens were going to somehow screw him, or these were songs meant for Van Halen, or this was a jukebox musical, or when Eddie died, somewhere on, over the Rainbow Bar and Grill was a tribute to him, even though it was written 15 years before that. So this book, you'll notice it skips around a lot because 
Dave either doesn't remember things very well <laughs> or, or I think he feels if he tells you it, it's the truth. Mm. And I, I also in talking to people and stop me if I'm saying too much, Brando, but nope. I feel the John five album was never a finished album that people were talking about as a finished album, but Dave has been tweaking it in recent years <laughs> adding stuff, remixing it, etc. Because another person I spoke to who may or may not have worked at Dave's house in recent years said, yeah, I saw some rough mixes, but I didn't see an album. This is Dave's Chinese democracy. I mean, <laughs> it was... <laughs> it is, except I really like Chinese democracy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, Better is one of the best Guns N' Roses songs they ever did. Yeah, right, right on. Yeah, no, there is some great stuff on there. It's just the whole... You know, aura surrounding it. It's how long it took, and you know, it's not well, Slash. That's what people won't even give it a chance because of that. So it's. Uh, I'm glad though that during that Van Halen split, people still give gave him a chance for a little while. But yeah, it's, it's it is sad to see somebody who had MTV in, in in the rock world in the palm of his hand, and then he's playing clubs. That's that's a very difficult ride. Did you know? Did you? What I was admired about Dave. And it's, mm-hmm. you would never, I, you know, it never comes out in an interview. And it's, that's something, it's, it's kind of a backup question to when you listen to interviews or read interviews with him. You don't know when it's being the, the, the wisest stuff on the planet or he's just being really silly. Like that Book of Mormon comment might have been just very silly. But no, no, he, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Does he get <laughs> depressed? Does that affect him? Yes. Okay, he does. So is I, the, I, I don't want to speak out of school, but he he's talked about being in therapy in many interviews. Okay. And people close to me have said he may allegedly possibly have been on medication on uh, over the years that in other words, the big, big smile is to counteract what's really going on. Yeah. So you have the the guy who's always smiling and there to make you smile. And then he probably comes off stage and it's the biggest frown on the planet. Like I. A close friend of mine once was a house manager at a venue he played at in New York City. And she was talking about dealing with him and his tour manager and how Dave like was refusing to go on unless they did A, B, and C. She's going, do you know how heartbreaking that was? I thought he was going to be this nice, smiley guy. And that might have been the meanest person I've ever oh. dealt with. But then you hear like how wonderful he is in everyday things that people see him in a record store people see him walking down the street he's a volunteer emt so i think it's just somebody who how he feels at that moment is how he feels he doesn't remember or hold on to that because he's moved on but you as the one time you've met david lee roth that's what you hold on to for the rest of your life sure i can't believe he was like that you know why do you think he never another parallel with axel why do you think he never got married it, depending on the interview that you read with him, he's he said he's had four true loves in his life, and they go, who? And then he won't say. Right. I think that he gets bored. He wants to um, – I'm trying to think of a parallel here. You know how when you go to a bar and you meet the most interesting person at that bar, and you go, wow, that person is so interesting – and you run into that person again and they've told you the same story and you go, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> they just have four good stories. OK, 
I think that is the enemy of David Lee Roth, that he at any given time is working on three to five skills that he's learning the most basic steps at perfecting them. And he goes, okay, I did that onto the next thing. And that's kind of the opposite of marriage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it, it for sure is. Anything interesting you learned about, because, of course, we, since Eddie's passing, we learned about that proposed uh, kitchen sink tour. Yeah. And Sammy was recently on Howard Stern talking about this tour. It's not a Van Halen tour, but it's primarily his era with some Dave stuff and Mike's going to be, and he invited you. I know you know the story, but for those who don't how he's like, uh, you know, Alex was welcome to come up. Uh, Alex doesn't return any of his emails. David Lee Roth is right. Is you're invited. And David Lee Roth, what did he send a, uh, a, like a press, like a a quote to Van Halen news news desk, desk, right? Amen. And then you see this really, I was so disappointed in Sammy. I mean, I'm a fan of his, but you see him in his Instagram responding to fans being like, I would never have Dave. I would never work with him again. You know, I, I can't do do that. Like, he can't even sing. And it's like, why Why would you do that, man? Like, was that tour with him, it was that bad? And to make this kind of promise almost to the fans being like, oh, we can get something as close when Eddie is gone. We can still celebrate the legacy oh well we, i guess we can't now anymore so your thoughts on the tour then <laughs> and <laughs> is it really ever is it going to happen again will, will will sammy do the right thing and get dave up it there it will never happen again crazy dave is very selective about what he does he's popped up for three or four corporate slash private gigs in the last year and a half he never rescheduled his vegas residency i think he's at the phase where he's just doing things because they pay a fortune or it's a bucket list kind of thing to meet somebody or perform with somebody or it's a notch in his belt in other words it either pays the bills or gives him the life experience bucket list and he would pay money to do that if that makes sense. So I think him and Sammy are very different trajectories because Sammy keeps saying it's the last tour. It's the last tour. I can't do this forever. I don't need the money. He keeps saying that stuff. And then he keeps counteracting it with new gimmicks. And and such as um, I they sent me uh, Sammy's cocktail hits uh, cookbook to recently write about. They, they sent me a beautiful care package of Sammy things. The second I mentioned the Dave book, they immediately shunned me because I think that grudge is forever there. But I think that Dave and Sammy are like 85% the same exact person mm. privately. I think that they're both people whose job – publicly is I'm here to put smiles on faces and remind you of when you're younger and I'm a blonde or formerly blonde guy who peaked in the eighties. And, (laughs) you know, they're the same person on that end. And Sammy's brand is to publicly be like Santa Claus or Jimmy Buffett. And this like approachable, Hey guys, Hey, how's it going? And which Dave is too. But then behind the scenes, it's kind of like, Hey, leave me alone. I'm not on stage right here. Yeah. I think that a lot of people think that Sammy is really like that 24-7, but he's not. So where I'm going with that is when he's going on Howard Stern going, anybody can come out for this tour. Anybody's welcome. Dave's welcome. He never thought that Dave was going to immediately troll him with a, yeah, sure, Sam. (laughs) 
He never thought that was going to so happen. So it was, that's the, the next question. It was a troll <laughs> by Dave Lee Roth, not by Sammy being like, yeah, okay, Dave could come and he wanted him to get shot down publicly. But I guess it makes more sense for him to play the nice guy like uh, like Oprah. Yeah. This person can come out. This person, person yes. can Yeah, so that's what he was, okay. It's it, it, All this is the same game that Brett Michaels plays. When you talk to Brett Michaels in the room, oh my God, that guy is fun and nice. And he, he just told me to come to his house. And <laughs> Brett Michaels wants to jam with me. And he said, whatever I need. And then you relay that to Brett's team and they go, no way. I've had that happen to me. I know bands who've had that happen to them that Brett's like, sure, man. Yeah, whatever, bro. And you don't know whether it's that the manager and or assistant is there as a gatekeeper because they know that the artist is like that or just the whole MO is be the nice artist. We'll, we take care of the business and we say no so you don't look like the douche. Well, right. Sammy has that. And you're going to go, well, how do you know that, Darren? I've had five different publicists tell me, yeah, you're greenlit to interview Sammy. And then you go, okay, when? And they ghost you. Mm. And you go, I thought we were scheduled here. Five different publicists. Oh, my God. It's You're not Dave Lee Roth. <laughs> you're which, which Dave is doing the same exact thing, only they just ignore you. If you want to get – okay, so Dave and Axel are the same where they've one female older person there that acts as their manager slash assistant slash maternal figure slash everything. And if that person ignores you or says no, it means no. Who is That's that? a similarity. Who is that for Dave? I know it's for beta for, for, G, for Axel, but who is it's, that for Dave? Uh, his accountant, Jerry. Oh, oh, Jerry. I thought that was so Jerry, a female? Yes. Oh, okay. And you see him... Uh, being walked to the stage by Jerry in that backstage video where somebody filmed Dave walking to the stage open for Kiss. You see Jerry next to the Fox News reporter, paparazzi guy from last year that's asking him the questions. You see Jerry all over the place. You see Jerry in the um, Las Vegas video where he knocks on the person's door before COVID who has no idea who he is. Right, right, right. <laughs> you, you see Jerry there. And then the guy holding the boom mic in that video is also the guy who's engineering and producing most of these sound recordings, a guy named Tom Sorowski, who worked under Brendan O'Brien, who is definitely under a non-disclosure. Um, I know people who could get Morse code out to Tom, but the people closest to Dave, it's they usually just say no by ignoring you. That's how you know. So I reached out five or six times to Dave's team going, does Dave want to collaborate on this book? I'll yeah. yield control. And then after no, hey, if Dave wants to read it and tell me everything that's wrong so I could put a note in there, it says Dave disagrees. No response. Does Dave want to speak to me on any level? No response. And I'm like, okay, that means no. That's, <laughs> that sounds like my relationship with Guns N' Roses management. Hey, you want to come I, on so the fans don't hate you and think that you're screwing everything up and like all the good work that you're doing? Want to just show your per showcase your personality? No answer. <laughs> can I can I tell you with Guns N' Roses, having interviewed like a lot of former and or current sidemen mm -hmm. in the group, uh, my my latest one was you know how Slash has that amp partnership with Magnetone. Well, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, and then within two days, they had to put out a press release. It's like, no, 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 he's still working with Marshall. It's just this is also happening. Right. So I reached out to the Magnetone people's ad agency, and I went, hey, um, I'd love to interview Slash about it. I will be really nice. I won't ask anything impolite. You'll be able to read everything. And then here's where we're going to circulate it to. So it gets maximum publicity for minimal effort. And he's going to look great. And they went, awesome. Email. And I went, okay, fine, fine. I can send like nine questions over email. And they're like, yeah, sure. Sent the emails. Oh, these are great. These are great. Thank you. You'll have them back soon. And then next week after that, they're like, uh, the Magnetone team has declined this interview. So <laughs> I don't know what happened with with that one, but I've been there, know, man. Slash is in a weird vortex too. I've been there. We're we're really uh, more so than the uh, the Polish Russian Austrian thing. We're, we're really. <laughs> You know, hand in hand here. I, I have those experiences too where I'm like, yes, I'd love to talk to you. Oh, well, no, I can't. You know, just that. The best, it yeah. reminded me uh, today, I wanted to, with all my six degrees of GNR bacon, the the uh, the harp player that played on Chinese Democracy on one song wants to do the podcast but can't because of an NDA. <laughs> or how Frank Ferrer loved my interview with him, wanted to come on again with Brain. Wouldn't that be amazing? Two GNR drummers. Then that's when I get the message from GNR. Oh, I was re- it was relayed to me that GNR management uh, banned me from anything else. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't ask yeah. him anything wrong. I didn't do anything. I give people, you know, it's all pre-recorded, no gotcha questions. So yeah. yeah, I was going to ask about uh, David Lee Roth, but yeah, that's uh, you, you tried. That's that's the best you could do. I, I spoke to him in '03. That's recapped in chapter one of the book. Okay. Good enough for me. It, it made me makes for the better story. But w- with Guns and Roses, you know, in interviewing Tracy Guns a few times, I know you had your issues. <laughs> to, he's sweet to me uh, on no end. Matt Sorum has been my problem. I lost mm. a book series because of Matt Sorum uh, and his flakiness. But uh, Salt of the Earth, like Fortis was really nice. Gilby was really nice. Duff gave me his phone number and then ghosted me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's funny. Yeah. You're right. Tracy is is nice to me on social media, but won't do the podcast because it's Guns N' Roses themed. Bumblefoot, the same thing. Won't do it because it's Guns N' Roses themed. But Bumblefoot thinks that he and I have a problem, and I don't have any problem with him. So I saw him at this red carpet, and he comes up to me, um, and he goes like, do we need to talk about this outside? I'm like, no. And then a few times after that, like I'd interview him or I'd run into something, and it'd be super awkward. I have no idea what I did to Bumblefoot. I was in his house once. I was supposed to do assistant work for him. I helped him. I never charged it for charged him for it, and then he ghosted me. And I have no idea what I did besides good deeds in the in the favor of Ron Thal. Oh my God, I I feel for you, man. I, I really do. It's something. It's like dating. Getting interviews is like dating, which is why I just admire you so much for wow. having to put this together and get this book across the finish line. Because I I mean I always knew uh, you know, somebody would 
journalism background since you know high school and creative writing since like I was a, a little kid, you know, admiring authors and wondering if I would ever do it. But just all the 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 work, the dedication, the once the all more hands get into the cookie jar to get a, across the finish line is so difficult. And so just congratulations on, on getting it. And then you want, this is what fans want. They want it written by a passionate person, not just somebody who's just clocking in and out on a, you know. Thank a, you. Right? Thank you. And if I can add one more thing on Bumblefoot, by the way. <laughs> Please, um, it's fine. Here's how you will know if Bumblefoot ever heard this episode. Are you ready? Okay. He added me to his Google calendar and never took me off. So I'm still 10 years or whatever later on his Google calendar. So if I see I was taken off his Google calendar, that'll prove okay. that Bumblefoot heard this episode. <laughs> it, it's funny. He's politely declined. And that was a great impression, by the way, with the uh, the raspy, you know. <gasps> I My throat hurts. I usually could do a, a better impressions. I, I, Ron, if that doesn't sound like you, I apologize. You know, it, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's uh, hopefully you find out why, because I've he's supposedly a nice guy who had a a, yes. bad, a bad experience with Guns N' Roses, but yes, and, but like I offered him, you can just come on and talk about Sons of Apollo. We could talk about being Brooklyn Jews for an hour. Who cares? I guess. Wanna, <laughs> but it's some people just. Uh, we, Did we, you ever hear Bumblefoot? This is a compliment. Did you ever hear his lounge act alter ego? I think it was like Checkers. Maybe um, he, it doesn't. It's not coming to my head, but I it, I probably have. But he's not. I can't. Think it's of that. hilarious hearing him cover Outcast songs like Miss Jackson. Okay, I haven't. Lounge. See if you can find that online. Is Checkers something or other? And it's Bumblefoot playing all the instruments and pretending to be a lounge singer. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Oh, <laughs> it's great. Oh, the funniest and and my first radio interview ever. By the way, when I was uh, up doing radio up in Cape Cod, because I met him, mm-hmm. I've told this story on the air before. I met him at a show in Ottawa. Oh, because uh, I was dating a girl there, and we kept in touch on MySpace, <laughs> and then eventually we coordinated an interview. But uh, I, I don't know; it, it is what it is. So I'm lucky that I've gotten to do this uh, podcast for X amount of years, because um, you know the struggle. I mean, Van Halen. Yeah. It's amazing when you have Van Halen News Desk and you have Greg Ranoff and you have people like you and that are doing kind of the work for the band that doesn't really promote. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I – it's not like what I set out to do, but I give you more information than the band does. The band doesn't give you really anything. They release a new song and they don't tell you anything about it. Here's the general. Unless you listen to this podcast or you're on mygnrforum.com or you're an obsessed GNR fan, you don't know anything about the general. Because they don't I, tell you. Unless you're thinking of the Shaquille O'Neal insurance commercials, that's, you don't know anything about the general. That's what everyone says. <laughs> it might have been funnier if he – I don't know. He Maybe he should uh, have done like a cover of that song just in general in his rasp. Want to save the general and save some time? No, forget it. I I, I don't have that, that kind of radio. I, I don't. Uh, that's better than I could do with this throat right now. But yeah, I, I think you raise a really, really good point. You know, not to take up too much time time of yours here, but that some of our favorite bands just have the worst legacy management going on, and then some not great bands have the best legacy management ever. So like the Doors were together for what five years, yeah, and. 
Jim Morrison is this timeless, cool person to much younger people. And the Oliver Stone movie people care about. And it's this awesome thing. They don't remember the fact that The Doors did three or four albums after Jim Morrison that were terrible. And that I think Robbie Krieger had the butts band or something like that. They don't remember any of that because they just keep those five to six years timeless and cool and they keep pumping out anniversary content yeah they, they, they and, absolutely do yeah and a lot of our favorite bands don't do that and then hence like grand funk railroad who is one of the biggest bands ever no one talks about outside of michigan <laughs> I and, guess, they, I guess so. and they were huge they sold out shea stadium faster than the beatles if legacy is correct so i feel like people along the lines of you and me have to document all these things while we can, or else these stories die. So kudos to you for keeping GNR alive and favorable. It's just how probably you started. You're just a fan, and you enjoy writing, you enjoy talking about it, and it kind of manifests mm-hmm. itself into this way, and you don't expect, you know, to... Because to, like you said earlier in the conversation, next thing I know, I had these... 20 interviews with random Van Halen questions. You're doing your six degrees of Van Halen without even doing a Van Halen. Uh, So you were just doing that of being a fan. And that's kind of what I do. I love talking to random people about their projects and then just sneaking in. Where were you when you heard Appetite for Destruction? Because if you were alive then, you remember. And I think that's just a a fun story to get from people. But I got to share... uh, Because Doug Goldstein... Because it's interesting, you, your book kind of maybe starts after this. He would do. Uh, he started out in security. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, that's kind of what before his foray. It's the second time I use that word. So two uh, foray, three. There's three now, and then Paulie Shore references. This is an interesting <laughs> episode. Uh, so before he ke- became a manager, he was uh, just a security guard for this this company, and he would do legs of tours. Let, mm-hmm. Whenever I, th- I think it was in Phoenix at the time. Whenever like the Who would come in, or the Rolling Stones would come in, Van Halen on their 1984 tour would come in, and then when the band broke up, because he became really friendly, he liked Dave, and he ended up getting a tour, uh, going on tour with the Eat 'Em and Smile, that whole mm-hmm. situation, becoming really friendly with Steve Vai, and I'll, I'll save the stories for the DLR cast because there's one awesome. where he. Uh, he breaks his back, tr- literally breaks his back, saving uh, David Lee Roth from a raging husband of a girl that he banged. So I, I know a spoiler alert to the ending, but it's I'll, I'll read you and Doug's, you know, th- what what happened. But this is the the GNR crossover. And did you talk about Donington at all in the book? The Don- I referenced that tour but i didn't go into depth about donington that video leaked after i turned it in the book okay oh yeah they're they're set i mean i love all these old footage that eventually just comes out it's just these time capsules it's like where i sort of love it and then i sort of don't because you watch it and you you go so van halen's on stage for like Mm -hmm. 70 minutes and there's a bass solo a drum solo a guitar solo (laughs) Uh, basically a stand-up routine. Uh, <laughs> like how much time were they wasting when they could have actually done the hits? Fair so enough. every now and then I'll go back and I'll watch them in Silver Spring, Maryland. I think that's called the Capitol Arena. That was the only arena that was kind of like pro shooting all the concerts and they're on YouTube. And you watch and go, 
I really could have done without that Michael Anthony bass solo for five to ten minutes. I really could have done without those Daily Roth rape jokes. I really <laughs> could have done without the costume change here. I really could have done without the guitar synth solo pedal thing. And then you you realize, okay, so they did all that, and then in turn you didn't hear this song, this song, this song, or this song. Ugh. <laughs> Maybe it was better imagining what it was like to see Van Halen in 83 or 84. Fair enough, fair enough. So <laughs> after that festival, and infamously to go from laughing to crying, those two kids yeah. that, that passed away, uh, yeah. they were they were kind of trampled, um, not kind of trampled, that were trampled. So we spoke about that in Doug's book, air quote, whatever, my book with Doug. And he goes, because uh, obviously David Lee Roth was on the tour as well and in the hotel that they all were staying at there was one central lobby so all the artists can kind of hang out and see each other so axel was despondent over what happened we're sitting in the hotel lounge bar where he spots david lee roth so a reminder all acts are in the same hotel so axel knew i had worked with dave and he knew uh, he had been doing this a lot longer than him so axel wanted dave's advice dave this is Axel Rose. That's Doug to... Yeah. Nice to meet you, bro. So this is Axel. Hey, I just got to ask you a question, man. I just don't know how I'm going to sleep. What do you do in situations like this? Of course, referring to the fan's death. Hey, come on, bro. This is the fucking UK, dude. People die in these fucking soccer games all the time that they have one. Lighten up. Axel, you're a fucking asshole. And then just, ran, just stormed off into his hotel room. So that's a that's a story I wanted to share. <laughs> that Dave Lee Roth apparently didn't care. I mean, I don't know. He's probably drunk at the time and uh, whatever, but didn't seem to care. I, that I, I also I also go back and forth because you hear these really humane yeah stories about Dave, and then you hear those kinds of stories. You hear stories about Dave being messed up, and then you hear people saying, "No, that was an act because he was up at five a.m. doing martial arts." And because he always, I shouldn't say always, most of his career, he was in excellent shape and he's very active and he cycles or roller skates or surfs or all that kind of stuff. And it you can't really pound Jack Daniels and do blow and be up to surf for, for a long, long time, for a long term. You might be able to get away with it for a week or two, but you eventually have to choose the blow and the Jack Daniels or the fitness, or else your heart gives out. So that's led me to wonder, like, is the partying thing a gimmick, or did he do it until this point, and then it became a gimmick from that point forward, mm. and he realized it would diminish his brand to not be a partier publicly? That I still don't have the answer for that, because I get different stories about him at Crazy Girls in, in L.A., and he's doing this. And uh, your, your Van Halen... Guns N' Roses parallel. Dave is to Crazy Girls as Guns N' Roses is to Cantor's Delicatessen, I okay. would say. Okay. See, I didn't know that, so I appreciate that uh, that association. <laughs> it's so funny. We have to speak. The strip club and the kosher style deli <laughs> are somehow the same thing. In, in this analogy, you know, in this SAT test, sure, that 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 works. Oh, that, yeah. that that's brilliant. Uh, well, again, Darren uh, Paltrowitz, not to be uh, Paltrowitz. Sorry, I had, I see. I did the Gwyneth Paltrow thing. 
Darren. Yeah, I'm Pop- I'm your pal. Just remember that. I'm your <laughs> I'm your pal. Come on. DOR <laughs> the DLR book, How Dave Lee Roth Changed the World. Uh, best place to for people to get it, Amazon. Uh, what about your websites, your socials? How can people keep uh, up to date with you? Right now, I'd say you're you're making the world a better place if you buy the book through Van Halen Shop, uh, which is linked through Van Halen News Desk. And, but it's also on Amazon, Target, Walmart, all the overseas kinds of places, thanks to Roman and Littlefield, who's putting the book out. And then for me, um, the website, paltrocast.com, that's where you can find me if you want to read my interviews, see my, uh, see my interviews, hire me as a PI, hire me to write your bio, whatever, paltrocast.com, and then most social media, at Paltrowitz. Right on. Darren, this was a pleasure. I, I've known your name for a while, so again, at the beginning, I'm, I'm flattered that you reached out, that we were able to have this conversation. I'm sure it won't be the last one. Uh, please, Thank you. Please have me on the DLR cast, more David Lee Raw talk. Because uh, I, I got to say, I am a big defender before we my eight-month-old comes back from his walk. Well, not just by himself. He's with his mother. Uh, yeah. I'm a big defender of David Lee Roth's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the fact that in the same way with Axl Rose's voice and the way they've aged, because that's kind of the key word is aged. Uh, I would still, if they, it's still David Lee Roth, he could, whatever he wants to do, butchers this song, blah, blah, blah. He was never Sammy Hagar. He always mm-hmm. had this kind of speak, singy style. And it's a lesser version of that because he's, is he 70 yet? I, I don't think. He's almost 70. He's almost 70. You know, Axel's 61. There might be a different case there because Axel's had some throat issues. But mm-hmm. still, it's I wouldn't want anyone else singing for Axel Rose. I don't want him mm-hmm. to, as long as he wants to go out on tour, do it. Don't retire. Same thing with David Lee Roth. To see him in Vegas I, would be a blast. Like, you're not there to see a crooner. You're not there to see, <laughs> in his version, but you're not there to see Frank Sinatra, you know, <laughs> that kind of uh, vocal uh, capabilities. You're there for David yeah. Lee Roth. I, I'm I'm with you there. When Dave certain tours, he did all the vocal prep in the world, and he sounds great. And certain tours, he sounds terrible. Um, when he puts his mind to anything, he can do it, and he can do it really well. So if Dave is going to put in the work for another date or another run, I'm all for that. I'll see that. But if Dave is going to sound like how he sounded on these last few corporate gigs in Vegas. Uh, dude, stay home. I know, Go back to painting because you're an amazing painter. But that's what I mean. Like, if he wants to do it, whatever. I mean, the people who are going to want to pay. It's, it's it's like seeing, I always looked at it like it's your, seeing your grandpa. Are you going to yell at your grandpa that he can't pick you up the way that he used to, that his back hurts, you know, or he can't oh, pick yeah, you up at all? Yeah, I, I am. I, fair enough. <laughs> Here's the headline for Blabbermouth. Darren hates his grandpa. <laughs> oh, no, I loved, I, I loved my grandpa. Don't I, get me wrong. I know, but, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I see your point. Sometimes you go, some. sometimes something is better than nothing with our legends and our heroes. And then other times they embarrass themselves. But in the case of Dave, if he chooses to work hard at singing, I can show you live videos where he's amazing, and then I can show you live videos where he's god-awful, but whether or not he sounds great, he looks cool, right? and he's still putting on a show, 
and I would like to see that show. That's so if Axel, that's Axel. He's putting on a show. If yes. you if you get past the, he doesn't sound like Appetite Axel or Illusions Axel anymore. I think, as our friend JT says, the Mickey Mouse version of Axel. I, I stay away from that 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 term because that's that's mean. Uh, yeah. But look, he can. Uh, I, it's interesting. I, if I ever have Justin Hawkins from The Darkness on the podcast, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask him about this, even though he probably wouldn't answer it because he opens for GNR at times. His mm-hmm. recent criticism of of John Bon Jovi and his voice, it's not just like, you suck, go home. It was a really... Right, sci- it, it was psychological? It was psychological. It was kind of like a scientific yeah. breakdown of it. It just was really approached by somebody who understands vocally what's going on and being like, Hey, you can do something else. You can be, you can, uh, get help. You just can improve. But if you, if you want to do it, whatever, that's, I'm curious if you would say that about Axel, because a lot of people do share that feeling. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just all I can think about Darren this entire time was before, uh, Guns N' Roses came back before I my first Guns N' Roses concert in 2002 was the Chinese Democracy lineup. Before I got to see Dave, yep. Before I got to see David Lee Roth at this small venue on Long Island with kind of the stage that goes around. And oh, you saw him at Westbury in in '03. Uh, I did. I did. I was at that show too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, with his <laughs> his hair extensions, the bleach blonde hair extensions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My friend Chris, so I kicked off the show with talking about the. He's my Van Halen version of me. We went to if you know Long Island, it's the now defunct the downtown, which was a great little. Oh, club. Dave Glicker's downtown. I I, I I did my time working for Dave. <laughs> I loved that place. I, I saw My Chemical Romance and, and Coed in Cambria when they were just getting oh, yeah. big there. Just great show. So what we decided to see because we thought we would never see our favorite bands was Mammoth. And the and Appetite for Destruction, I believe, were the two cover bands. Mm-hmm. So we were like, ah, oh, this is the closest we'll ever get to seeing our bands on stage. And then 2012, he got back together with Eddie. It took me to 2016 to see Axel and Slash on stage together. So, I mean, this has just been a long ride for these amazing, the best American rock bands, like you said earlier. But it's been, it's been a ride without... Uh, you know, it's had its bumps. It's had its, <laughs> its question marks, but it has yeah. the fan base that's diehard, and we we love it. Even though uh, the 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 good old times maybe uh, they're gone, I guess. But I don't, I don't know, man. It's you got keep as I'm. You said I'm waving the flag, GNR flag. You keep doing the, the Van Halen thing, man, because we need it. It's, Fingers crossed Dave can be more like Axel in terms of putting out the live videos and the archival stuff because Guns N' Roses' YouTube channel during the pandemic was immaculate. Those those videos, those fully produced live shows they're putting out, fantastic. We've getting, we're getting the new song twice a year. Great. Um, Dave, be more like your nephew Axel um, and we'll be happy. See, if you say it like that, then I was like, oh, we're getting so much as GNR fans. But then my wife, who's the, the Dave Matthews version of all of us, oh, she got it, yeah. a live show, a full live show every week. It wasn't just the selects from Not In This Live, which is which was nice. But you, it's a 10-minute YouTube video where she's get, I have to sit here watching her dance every Wednesday to, 
to Dave, Dave Matthews. Anyway, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad. The other Dave. I'm glad I said that before she officially came back and to, to, to yell at me. <laughs> well, well, Brando, again, I'll continue to shower you with uh, praise. Looking forward to having you on the DLR cast. Thanks for having me on this, and thanks to anybody who braved this much banter about Van Halen and Guns N' Roses. I, I had to do it because this might be my last episode of the year. So nice. uh, with that being said, I, I put it up on Twitter. I mean, this has been a long year, a good year, because I became a dad. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, my priorities changed. I haven't been able to put as much time and effort into this podcast, but still put out 50 episodes with some great guests. It's just been an amazing experience, and I look forward to what 2024 brings. And and Baby Brownstone, my co-host, and uh, maybe we'll say his first word on the air, because right now he just like screams like a whale in heat. It's just like Baby a- Brownstone, <laughs> trademark it and buy the domain today. I might have to. Darren, uh, thanks again. And that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.